Uh, like Fran said earlier, my name is Hayden. We all know you. Uh, my wife, Megan, and our girls were here for several years. Um, and then we had to get out of here. Uh, <laughs> we moved to Columbus, and um, uh, it's been great. But Marshall asked if I could come fill in one week in the psalm series. And I said, great. I love the psalms. Uh, probably nothing has shaped my inner prayer life like the psalms have. I think we'd all be better off if our lives were more and more shaped by the psalms. After all, that's historically where the church has gone to go deep into God, the psalms. And so if we're going to learn how to pray, if we're going to learn how to worship, if we're going to learn how to work, if we're going to learn how to lament, really how to live, we got to go deep into the psalms. And, and that's what this series is about. And so this morning, we're going to look at a unique psalm, Psalm 90. Some say it's the very heart of the book of Psalms. So I'm going to read that for us now, Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return the children of man for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream. The grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants. And your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands. Establish. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you. For the truth of, of this song, would you be with me now in the words of my mouth? Would you help all of our hearts meditate on your goodness and your son Jesus? It's in his name we pray. Amen. 
We may have heard for the first time in history the opening ceremony of the Olympics in 2024. The first time ever won't be held in a stadium, but it's going to be held on a river. The Seine River in Paris is set to be the stage for the ceremony. It's been called the world's most romantic river. It has defined Paris since its founding. Cultural historical landmarks like the Eiffel Tower are built on its banks. The deputy mayor of Paris said that it's really the reason that Paris was born. But this iconic defining river has a dark side that maybe some of you know about. For years, TVs, motorcycles, trash of all kinds, most importantly or significantly, wastewater sewage has just been dumped into the Seine River. And in 1923, 100 years ago, swimming in the Seine River was banned. And then in 1960, it was declared biologically dead. Nothing could grow in the Seine River. So this river that defined Paris, that was meant to be a place of life, to be a source of pleasure, to escape the heat, a place of beauty had become really just depressing and full of death. And this psalm, Psalm 90, may be the most, one of the most blunt descriptions of life in the whole Bible. It's like wading through the Sin River. We see what we were meant for, dwelling with God. But all that purpose, all that meaning, all that beauty and glory and joy is just toil. And it ultimately ends in the dust of death. But Moses wants to teach us that there is meaning in this life. But if we're going to find it, if we're going to know that this life matters, that we matter, we can't look in, but we have to look up to the everlasting God. And he does this by being really honest about the problems of life and then giving us what we need to find meaning in life. So we'll look at this uh, psalm through those two things, the problems of life and then the meaning of life. So first, the problems of life. Psalm 90 is a psalm of lament, which you may know is really just a reflection on how life in this world isn't quite right. It doesn't line up with God's word. And in the first two verses, Moses summarizes what life should be. Dwelling with our creator, with our Lord, generation after generation. An intimate relationship with him at home in the everlasting God with ultimate meaning and purpose. But the psalm sobers up pretty quick. The river of life starts to smell Dwelling with God has been polluted with death, disappointment, dust. And this is language straight from Genesis 3. The, the curse that was given to Adam after he sinned. God said, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And in fact, verses 3 through 11 of this psalm is, is really one long meditation on the effects of that first sin. Moses is thinking through how he has seen this sin play out in life. The 
beginning was paradise, an ultimate sense of meaning. But now it just seems like one problem after another has been tossed into the river of life. And we could sum up the problems of life with three words. We have a sin problem, we have a guilt problem, we have a death problem. So first we have a sin problem. This is the internal state of our hearts. We are born in sin. Our hearts are dark and deceitful. Verse 8 talks about our iniquities, our secret sins. And I don't think you need to be convinced of this. We've got hard data on our sin. You live with kids. You live with spouses. You live with roommates. You live with yourself. We are very aware of, yes, the outward ways that we fail to love God and neighbor, but also how dark and how twisted our own thoughts and desires can be. But this is not the most foundational truth about you. We were created in the image of God. We were the defining feature of creation. With purpose and meaning, the sin has polluted that. So we have a sin problem, or we have a guilt problem. Because of this internal heart sin, we're all guilty. We have an external legal problem before God. Our status before Him is unrighteous. The way Moses puts it in this psalm is that we are under His wrath. Verses 7 and 8 said, The secret sins of ours are set before you. All that evidence, that hard data of our sin is laid before the holy, everlasting judge. And there is no one who can stand before him. We have a death problem. None of us are exempt from this part of the story. We are all children of Adam. We've inherited sinful hearts and because of our hearts we stand guilty before God and the just punishment for that guilt is to death, to dust you shall return. But this isn't how it should be either. There's a, a gut-wrenching scene in Nicholas Walterstorff's book, A Lament for a Son, where he is burying his 25-year-old son who died of a climbing accident. And he says this, he says, I have touched his cheek. It's cold, still hardness pushed me back. Death I knew was cold and death was still, but nobody had mentioned that all the softness went out. His spirit had departed and taken along the warmth and activity and yes, the softness, he was gone. If you've ever been around death, you know what Walter Stork is touching on here. There is a visceral pushing back from death. This is not how it's supposed to be. It should be an endless repeat of verses 1 and 2, but we live in verses 3 through 11. The years get swept away. They grow and wither the next morning. We've got 70 years, maybe 80, either way. It's toil all the way through. And we come to an end with a sigh. This is the reality of the life we inhabit. It's dust. But we don't like to talk about death. And that's understandable. This is really heavy. Moses is severely depressed. 
So what do we do? Well, unfortunately, our sinful hearts come up with all kinds of ways to cope with the fleetingness of life. We run up against the frailty of life and we do two things. We distract or control. We distract, we open an app, draft an email, throw it in our AirPods. We bury ourselves in a new hobby or in our work. We numb ourselves with yet another nine-part docu-series. And this isn't all bad. There's, there's good uses for all of that. But we have an instinct to drown out the feeling of life slipping away. So we distract or we control. We'd never say that loud, but we convince ourselves that we're, we're not moving towards death. And this could be as trivial as keeping up with the latest trends or obsessing over fitness and health. And those are good things. They're important. But they can be a way that we try to push back on death. Or it can be as extreme as the tech mogul Brian Johnson. You heard about this man? He's been paying millions of dollars for what is called young blood transfusions. He is trans or infusions, he is infusing himself with the blood of a 17-year-old to try to live to be 120 years old. We ignore or we cover up the signs of aging because we do not want to face death. We push back because it's unnatural. But neither of these work for long. And you know this. Control is utterly futile. No one can escape death. And distraction is just a kind of death in this life. We become shut off to everything. And so what are we to do? How do we find meaning in this life? Well, Moses has done a great job of showing us the problems of life. So now let's look at the meaning of life. Moses begins verses 12 through 17 with the word so. Meaning, in light of all of that, here's what we need from you, God. He says, teach us to number our days. That is, rather than distract or control, we need help to be realistic about how long we have here. Because this is what leads to wisdom. This is what leads to a perspective on what matters. And this is really the, the basis of all our prayers, isn't it? God, show us how we can make sense of all of this. Show us how any of this matters. And then Moses asked for three things. Now there's a, a fairy tale called The Princess and the Goblin. It's about this young girl. She's very adventurous and a grandmother. And the girl is out on adventures, but she's afraid of goblins, as I'm sure we all are. <laughs> and the grandmother gives the little girl a ring with a magic thread on it and says, if you ever get in danger, or if you're ever scared, just run, take the ring off and run your finger along the thread and you will always find a way back to me. But you can't see the thread, you can only feel it. And at one point, the grandmother says this to her. She says, remember, it may seem to you that the thread is taking you a very roundabout way indeed. And you must not doubt the thread. Of one thing you may be sure, that while you hold it, I hold it too. 
And what Moses gives us here are three threads, three things that we can know that God is there, that he cares, that all of this matters. So what are these threads? Well, the first is love. Verse 14, Moses says, let your steadfast love satisfy us. He says, then we would know that we have something to rejoice and be glad about. Then we would know that we matter. If the everlasting God would fill us with his love, then we would know that he cares. But don't just let us know it. We want to experience it, satisfy us with it, make us experience your love. So the first is love, the second is works. Verse 16, he says, let your work be shown to your servants, your glorious power. Moses knows that love leads to action. So he says, God, if you love us, then show us what you will do for us. If the creator God will be for us, if he will work for us, then that will be of life meaning. We've got hard data on our sin. If we had hard data on the power, on the works of God, then we would know he cares. So love works. And the third is delight. Moses knows that this isn't enough. He's become so overwhelmed with depression that he becomes very bold. He says, God, not just love, not just power. We're going to need to know that you delight in us. We're going to need to know your favor. One commentator translates this verse. May the delights of our Lord come after us. This life feels so meaningless that the only way we'll know that anything matters, that we matter, is if the everlasting God will delight in us. So if we could just run our fingers along the threads of his love, his works, his delight, then we would know that he's there, that he cares. We would know that we matter. But God didn't leave us to just follow the thread back to him. No, he couldn't contain his love for you. He could not stay put. The everlasting God of verses 1 and 2 burst into time. He took on flesh to be seen, to be touched, to be heard. The steadfast love of the Lord became a person. You want to know, you want in the midst of this life to be sure that God cares for you? Well, Jesus, the dwelling place of the fullness of God, came to dwell among us. And his love for you drove him to the cross. He took on our sin problem. He took on our guilt problem. He went under the wrath of the Father. And as he hung on the cross... He quotes, I'm sure you know, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Psalm 22 goes on to say, you have laid me in the dust. The eternal God became dust so that our lives can have meaning, so that our story doesn't end in the grave. And ultimately on the cross with a sigh, he said, it is finished. And Jesus flew away to death. Jesus lived every line of Psalm 90 in our place. And these are the works that he shows to his servants, his death and resurrection. Because after he went to the dust, he rose from dead in glorious 
power, leading the way for what awaits all who have faith in Him, eternal life with our God. But it's not just His love and His works, it's His favor too. It was the light that led Jesus to the cross. So meaning is not found in adding a single minute to your life. But meaning is, is found by having the eternal God say to you, I know you. I have watched you. I've seen the works of your hands and I have loved every minute of it. You are more valuable to me than all the beauty of my creation. And it is my pleasure to go to the dust for you. You see what the cross means? In Jesus, we have the love of God in the flesh. In Jesus, we experience the power and works of God. In Jesus, we have the Father's delight. God takes so much pleasure in you that he wants you for all eternity. And he went to the death so that he could enjoy you forever. And by the way, this, only this can establish the work of our hands, not out of guilt, not trying to earn God's delight, but because He's been pleased to give us the kingdom, and so now it's a joy to do kingdom work. And for the past several years, Paris has been cleaning up the Seine River to get their river back, to get ready for the Olympics. And one of the things they did was to build a massive tank underground that would absorb all the unfiltered and polluted water away from the river, making the river clean, restoring its purpose so that people can swim in it, so that it can bring meaning to Paris again, so that it can even be the stage for the glory of the Olympics. When Jesus' love for you sent him underground into the grave, to absorb the pollution of our sin, to absorb the wrath of God, to make us pure, to make us clean, that we might find meaning in this life. And this is it. When God says, I delight in you so much that I want your life to be the stage of my love, of my work, of redemption, of my delight, and I want to enjoy you forever. All of creation will pass away. Everything is headed towards the dust. But this life is not meaningless because if you are in Jesus, you can know God's love. You can know his words. You can know his delight. And that's not the end of the story. God will have his heart's desire. And you will dwell with him forever in the river of his delight. Let's pray.